Welcome into the School of Science Radio. My name is Gino Ganello. I'm your host for this podcast and for the near future. Um, joining me today are some of Royal Blue Mersey's finest writers, Brian, Chris, and Adam. Guys, how you doing today? Well, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel if we're the best we've got. But, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll do what we can. There aren't that many of us, so I guess, yeah, you know, I mean, we just lost the lottery. <laughs> Well, guys, let's get right into it. You know, a very uh, topic-heavy game, I guess you could say, this past Saturday with Bournemouth. And we'll start out with the positives. There were some uh, some players on Saturday who performed pretty well. And, you know, Brian, I'll start with you. Who were who was a player that stood out to you? I mean, I felt like there were a number of them who really came alive once we went down to 10 men and, you know, uh, really helped us get those two goals to start off. Yeah, I mean, Theo's going to be the big one, um, which, hey, think I got six points in the prediction league again um, <laughs> because of good old Theo. But one of the things that really struck me, both Theo and uh, Sigurdsson, is just the level of quality related to the rest of the squad. You know, we talk about competing for the Champions League, and you look at Theo on the ball, and you look at Siggy on the ball, and they just have something about them that – no one else on the team really does. You know, yeah, Coleman a little bit at times. Same with Schneiderlin when he plays well. But those two, like, we need the rest of the squad to come up to that level if we really want to talk about Champions League football. You know, and, and that's why Theo, Siggy, they were kind of the guys that saved us in this one. Yeah, I think, I think Siggy, for at least from my perspective, was a player who's really come alive here in these first three games altogether. You know, I think he's played pretty well when he's, you know, been on the field. Um, obviously, he hasn't got the benefit of playing with 10 other players on the field in some circumstances, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit more later. Chris, let's go to you. How about you? What players stood out to you? Obviously, Theo, is there anybody else that stood out to you um, in this game on Saturday? Um, yeah, Walcott was definitely one, and, and you know, kind of just quickly on him before I go to somebody else. With Theo, I don't know that the quality really has ever been the question there. The big question when he was signed was, you know, can he stay on the field? Because I think we knew that he would be pretty good if he if he was able to stay healthy. And so far he's done that. I mean, obviously, knock on wood, but I've I've been pleasantly surprised with his um with his health so far. Other than that, um Chink Tosin again quite good and you know much like Romelu Lukaku doesn't have to be scoring goals to make an impact we've seen nifty assists we've seen him um you know spring the play for Walcott's goal on Saturday um he just he's not great at any one thing but he's good at a lot of different smaller things and with Walcott and Richarlison chipping on the goals that's you know most games that's going to be enough no, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think one of the things about Chank is that, like you said, he doesn't show out on the stat category a ton, but the things that he does, you know, off the ball or just holding up the play, I think is is things that go very largely unnoticed um for him. And and again, like you guys said like you guys have said, Chank, Theo, great players, um and have performed that way um over the past few games and Adam, you know, Anybody else out there, we, we, again, you know, there's a lot to talk about in the negative aspect, but we did have plenty of positive things to talk about, too. Any other players that you thought performed unusually good in uh, this game this past Saturday? 
Well, I think these two guys have obviously taken the the two big ones, so I'll go a little bit off the radar, and uh, I'll go Michael Keane, obviously, you know, injury notwithstanding, and happy to hear that the injury is not as serious as it could have been, and hopefully we'll we'll see him back in a number of weeks rather than months. Um, But I think since he's gotten paired with Holgate, and I'm not a Mason Holgate fan, if if anyone doesn't already know that about me, I'm not a Mason Holgate (laughs) fan, but what I will say about Holgate is he's big, he's strong, and he's quick. He's very athletic, and I think that's what Keane really needs in the partner that he plays with. And since his partner became Mason Holgate, you know, halfway through the first game of the season, Keane has looked good. Uh, he doesn't have to cover a ton of ground, which is good because he's not capable of it, but he's been well positioned. He's had a relatively good partnership with Holgate. He remains an absolute force in the air, as we saw both on his goal and uh, and on the play ultimately where he got injured because he's flying in way above everybody and with way more power than everybody else out there to make a, a big clearance at an important time. And I think we kind of uh, collectively probably thought that when Zuma and Mina both came in, that that might have been the end for Keen as a first-choice center back this season. Uh, obviously, he's not going to be first-choice no matter what for, for a few weeks now. Uh, but I think he's shown that given a partner like Holgate, like Zuma, like Mina, he could be. He could be a, a, a first choice guy, and that's a big step from the guy that we saw in preseason and toward the end of last season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, all those players played, you know, terrific on on Saturday, and specifically Michael Keaton. Obviously, we're wishing him well after that that rough injury. But now moving towards the more negative side of things here, you know, there were some players on Saturday that I think all of us can agree had some pretty rough performances. Um, which is atypical of them. Um, so, uh, Adam, let's just go back to you. Name me, a, give me a player who, who you thought played, um, you know, not as good as they normally do. I mean, there were a bunch. Who do you, who stands out to you though? Well, I think there's an easy one right off the top, and that's got to be Richarlison, right? Um, obviously, his ability is is not in question. Um, but I think that the red card incident, which was 100% soft and Bad, bad thoughts about Adam Smith in the way that he kind of unsportingly suckered Richarlison into that. But Richarlison did what he did. And I think for me, it's kind of uh, solidified that I, I do have one or two worries about Richarlison's attitude. Uh, he's on the ground a lot, and obviously he gets fouled a lot, but he's on the ground even more than he needs to be. He's he's tended to get suckered into those moments uh, like he did with Smith on Saturday. Obviously, a bigger outcome there than previously. And I think that it casts his very poor second half last season into a little bit of a different light when you start start talking about a player who you feel like has maybe shown that he's got one or two issues in the mental side of the game. Uh, we're going to be without him for three games now, so he's going to have some time to think about it. I hope Marco Silva has is having conversations with him about, about his attitude and professionalism going forward uh, because we need him. He's clearly got the quality, and I'm not taking that away from him at all. He's been outstanding so far. But we need him on the field, and we need his head in the game. And if he does what he does on uh, what does what he did on Saturday, uh, we're not going to get that. And I I think you know just to interject over Charleston briefly, that Silva immediately said in his you know post game comments that 
it's just not acceptable. He doesn't care who you are in the squad. He doesn't care how old you are. He named off like 12 different ages that that's just not going to work. 40, 40 million pounds, 5 million pounds. You cannot do that. So I think that was encouraging, you know, that he did, that Silva didn't take a pass at the referee. He didn't take a pass at Adam Smith. He just came out and called it like he saw it, which was, you know, that's, uh, that's a detriment to the team. Yeah. And I think yeah, that I, that's obviously, um, the way that, that we've kind of perceived Silva so far. I would not have anticipated him to play it any other way, but as a straight shooter. So it's encouraging to see that. Uh, and hopefully that means better things going forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's the first thing that popped out to me too. You know, seeing like in the post-match press conference and whatnot and post-match comments, um, you know, the fact that he did call him out and say, listen, like this is unacceptable. That's something you need, especially for a young kid like that. Um, and mo- moving forward, but again, there's a host of names. Brian, let's go to you. One name who, who didn't perform as well as you would expect him to. I mean, Seamus Coleman was easily the most disappointing because it was, that was a horror show from Coleman. And I mean, I don't know that he had a better touch than anybody on the field. And it, it was just every ball off him, out of bounds to another, to the opposing player, you know, anything like that. And his defending wasn't the greatest. Uh, you know, not that necessarily Coleman's ever been the best defender, but when he's not able to get forward and generate anything, and he had opportunities, then the, you know he's there's no point to him being on the field at that point. Yeah, and it was pretty disappointing. Yeah, and it felt like just watching the game, it felt like he was running with heavy legs there. You know, it felt like he was just a step or two slower than he normally is. And yeah. I think that, that he had the, the chances in the first half, especially to have completely changed the game with a better touch or a better cross. Cause he had chances to create really good chances for other players that could have led to a goal. And if we nick an early one against Bournemouth, you know, we're probably looking at a way different game than the one that we ended up getting. And that's, yeah. that's also not the, especially going forward, not the first time we've seen that issue out of Seamus this year. Um, I don't know if you remember. I think it was against Wolves where he and Nias were breaking late and, you know, there's an opportunity to slide a pretty simple cross in and he just hit it right out of bounds. Um, so it's it's a little bit of a troubling trend. I think over the course of his career, I trust Seamus to get it back on track, but it's definitely something to watch out for. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, his speed and willingness to go forward has always papered over a lot. I mean, he's... I can't think of how many times, you know, it's even early in his career at Everton where, you know, you're like, oh, God, Seamus, just don't cross that. Just give it to somebody else and let them cross it, please. But he yeah, gets he's never been in. a good crosser. Yeah. And it's almost like he's got to be wide open to do it. And even then, it's a little dicey. But, but that's, because that's, it's being, yeah. That's the thing, right? He gets into those positions so regularly that you almost have a hard time hating on him for trying it because the way that he gets free is almost is pretty much better than anybody in the squad, especially at fullback. Oh yeah, definitely. It's just that you know when when you've got that many opportunities, and especially now, I feel like you know yeah, last year we didn't have Lukaku, but for several years before that, Lukaku papered over a lot of problems. And we've, we've kind of forgotten about that. And so now we're seeing this, oh, hey, yeah, if you're wasting crosses, 
you know, or wasting any opportunities, regardless of a pl- of the player, it it's more glaring now because you don't have someone that's going to score twenty goals. Yeah, just, Lukaku, Lukaku definitely, he definitely, like you say, uh, helped with a lot of those issues that, and, and like you said, papered over them because we didn't see a lot because he could do so much there in the middle and control the middle of that field and and anything in the box there and and. There's there's one name that stands out to me, and Chris, we'll see if, if you have it too when talking about players who played unusually bad, but uh, give, give me one name. Unfortunately, Brian stole my thunder a little bit with Coleman, so I'm going to go to perhaps a, a more obvious one, and that's uh, unfortunately Tom Davis. Um, he We needed a lot out of Tom on Saturday because Schneiderlin was out, and you know, Mo Bezic had been sold, and all these kind of, Andre Gomez is not ready yet, and Tom just he didn't have it, and he doesn't seem like he's had it for a while, despite the encouraging cameo against Southampton. And he's not the type of player that can sit deep and distribute. And he's if he can't hold on to the ball, he's not providing much value at all because Ghana's over there doing all the other things that he does. And it's just discouraging from a long-term trajectory perspective, but it's also discouraging from we don't have a lot of healthy central midfielders right now, and that's suddenly a real dangerous area of, of depth that I don't know where you go. Uh, there's there's not a lot of solutions other than asking Tom to just figure it out over the next three or four weeks. Yeah, yeah. and a play. Go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. No, and, and that's Davies is that you, you know, and Adam I'm sure will get very angry now, um, but you when you play two midfielders with the same role, you're going to have problems and. Unfortunately, that's just not a something that's we can get around right now. And I, I kind of wonder if Silva and Brands kind of made that decision of, hey, we're we're just gonna suffer through this, you know. And then when Benny's healthy, Schneiderlin's healthy, we've got two guys, you know. Hopefully, we can always have at least one of them, and then just roll the dice. Oh yeah, I think that was one hundred percent. The intent always was. Okay, we're gonna have we're gonna have one deep liar. We're gonna have a six that's either gonna be Schneiderlin or Beningami and Gomez in you know an emergency situation. And at the eight, at the box to box, we've got Ghana, we've got Tom, we've got uh, McCarthy when he's healthy. Uh, but you just don't plan to be at this stage of the season, this early in the season, and be without your first three options at what Marco Silva has called like his most important position on the pitch in terms of being that deep-lying midfielder, that that true number six. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that probably a little bit more um, in a bit, but I think it's it's an excellent point. And you can even see it in the breakdown of possession. We had the ball, like, in the attacking third, the, mid, the middle third, 18% of the time we had the ball. That's what happens when you don't have someone comfortable on the ball mm-hmm. in that deep-lying role. You just shuffle it out to the wing and hope to get forward. Yeah, and and again, that's uh, I, I think it's a very important position that we all – I think it's something that we didn't realize or, or we didn't feel during the transfer window was one of our bigger needs. But now that we have the players in those other areas like center back and whatnot, um, we, we start to see the, those other needs a little bit. But hopefully that's something we can get taken care of in the uh, January transfer window uh, just to kind of provide some depth there if we still are dealing with those injuries. But moving into, like, 
into some more tactical things. And Adam, you brought this up a little bit. So let's go back to you on this. Some, some wrinkles that you maybe saw in this game, some things that uh, went one way or the other that were interesting to you. Well, I, I think Brian has hit on the, the first point very well that, like he said, uh, 18%, it was somewhere between 15 and 20% of Everton's attacking third possession was in the, the central channel. And that's, you know, that's not a long-term recipe for success unless your ideal setup is just whipping in crosses to Shank Tozen all the time. And I don't think that's what we want to do. We've got Gilfi Sigurds in there. We want to be able to get him the ball. But with Ghana and Davies, it wasn't even that uh, that they failed, that they attempted passes forward in that space and failed. Um, they just didn't even try them. And I don't know if that came from Silva uh, and the direction was we're just going to play wide because I don't want you turning the ball over in the center of midfield. Uh, or if it was the players taking that upon themselves to say, I'm, I'm not going to force the issue here. Um, so I think that until Schneiderlin gets back or until Beningami gets back, uh, I'm not sure I see a solution out of that problem. Um, so, so that was the, the first thing. I think the other big one for me was uh, what Silva did after the red card. Um, we kind of got through the, the end of the first half, and then at the start of the second half, he, he shuffled Gilfie out wide to the left uh, rather than making a, a substitution. And basically all it was, it was a 4-4-1, real compact, real defensive, and as soon as the ball turned over, Schenk uh, drifted out to the right ahead of Theo. Gilfie came in more to that number 10 role and basically just vacated that left wing spot altogether. And the goal was basically to just use those three players to spring a counterattack. And I mean, it worked to perfection on the Theo Walcott goal. Uh, it's exactly, I'm sure, what Silva was, was drawing up. Uh, so that's the good. The bad is that after we were up 2-0 and it was down to 10v10, he didn't do anything else to change the flow. And I think that that's probably the first big uh, mistake tactically that Silva's made since he came in. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think uh, at 2 nothing. now at 10v10, what what move would you guys have made to, to kind of lock things up a little bit? Because clearly what he stuck with didn't work. Yeah, so I, I mentioned this a little bit in our kind of internal group chat at the time. And I'm, a, I'm not a manager, I'm not a tactical savant, but one of the things that I was looking for was instead of shuffling Gilfie out to the left, like you said, maybe dropping him in to, to the deeper of the midfield just so he could get on the ball. Because as we've already mentioned, the possession in the middle was just horrific. And without Schneiderlin there, there's nobody who even knows really what to do once they receive the ball. And maybe you bring on Calvert-Lewin a lot earlier. So maybe it's Bernard or whatever the case may be. But as we saw last season and as we saw again on Saturday, Gilfie left is just kind of takes away everything that he's good at. Yeah, um, and the, he had the one the one real good play where he doinked it out to Tosin, uh, and Tosin got it got it up to Walcott for the goal. Um, so it, it worked in that instance, uh, but it, it never quite came off again. And at a certain point, I think Silva had to say, okay, you know, especially once it went to ten v ten. And now you're not really in a position where you're just going to look and look to sit deep and absorb because it's 10 v 10. That, that dynamic of the game had changed. 
Right. And even if you don't um, move Gilfie back into the middle, you could maybe bring on a Kieran Dowell for Tom Davis, who's he's got to be better on the ball than Tom. You know, I haven't seen a lot of him recently just because he's been out on loan. But just just looking to get a little of that control back, I think, is what I was hoping for. And it didn't really happen. I mean, for me, the big problem is, and, you know, watching Burnmouth last week against West Ham, they counter, they play long balls. And how did they score? They countered, led to a penalty, and long balls. Like, it, it's, we just don't, I don't know that we have the personnel to deal with those longer, like, long balls over the top. You know, when, when Jaggy Elka was in his prime, no worries. You're like, oh, ball over the top, Jags has got that, we're fine. But we, you know, Holgate, yeah, he's got the speed, I don't know that he quite has the, the, the understanding of balls in the air, and yeah, Keane is not, doesn't have the speed for it. And well, the problem, and I think that, that you know, Mina, Mina and Zuma are on the, you know, are set to come in, and those guys strike you as guys, hopefully, who could be that. Yeah, definitely. And then the other problem you run into is, you know, when you have Ganon Davies, almost inevitably, they're going to get sucked up, both of them if they're on the field at the same time. And I want to say the first goal or, you know, the, the resulting penalty, they were sucked up pretty high and it just leaves this, all this space to play into. And then when you add in that both sides are at 10 men, so you have a lot more space and one less body to cover it, you, you're just, you know, it's kind of one of those, you almost cross your fingers and hope nothing happens because for me personally, looking at who we had on the bench, I I don't I don't know that anyone really comes in and causes a, a big change. You know, maybe Calvert Lewin, if you then give him the goal of hey, we want you to press, we want you to put the defense under pressure, use your speed, don't worry about actually playing as a striker or any of that. You know, almost like. Um, uh, to a degree, the Manchester City, the first game last year, where, mm-hmm. yeah, he, I mean, he was able to burn City's defense a little bit, but he harassed the crap out of City's back line and pressured them. You know, maybe that would have helped, but I think ultimately it was just a, I, I looked at it as 2-2 was a fair result. Like, I, I if you just tell me, hey, it was a 2-2 draw based on overall how the game went, yeah, that's fair. Because we had a lot of near misses earlier on that we did not get punished for. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's fair. And the only other move that I thought that, that neither of you guys mentioned uh, was that at two nil with you know with twenty minutes to play, I wondered if maybe Silva would go back to Lucas Digna at uh, at left mid again, just straight swap for uh, for Gilfie. He did that uh, week one, and he looked okay. Obviously, he's not going to bring a whole lot of attacking. But it would have been some extra cover in front of Baines, who obviously does not is no no longer the fleetest of foot, we'll say to put it nicely. Um, and I thought that that maybe would have been one path he he could have taken to change what ultimately came about. But as you guys said, you hit on most of the other options, and it's not like any of them are outstanding. But I do think at a certain point, as the manager, when you're sitting looking at at, at that match and the way that it was going, something had to change before it did, simply because the outcome was inevitable and it's exactly what happened. 
I think I, I think the it, when we talk about like Brian was just talking about the the result of a draw and, and even uh, Brian clearly had this because he picked a draw and I also had a draw this week in the predictions league. I felt like if you told me we were going to get a draw there, I would have been okay with that. But I think more or less, most people will be disappointed about the way the game turned out just because of how everything went in the actual game, being up to nothing and then giving away that lead. And, and, you know, it does raise some, some glaring issues about holding leads and, and being up. But again, can't go down to 10 men in the first place. And that's something we're definitely going to have to work on, even though we clearly can score goals down a man, um, rather not be playing down uh, a man for most of our games. But moving on to just our takeaways from this game in general, uh, just give me, Chris, we'll start with you. Short-term and long-term takeaways from this match. What you what you see from it? Uh, so short-term, I think it's hopefully fairly obvious. I'm concerned about the depth moving forward. Um, we've got two games in what three or four days coming up. Um, no Richarlison, no Yerry Mina, no Andre Gomes. Now no Michael Keane. Um, <clears throat> before, I think you could go into the the League Cup game looking at a lot of different options and some some ways to mix things up and try new players out and. And now it looks like most of the guys that played on Saturday are probably going to have to come in, and I think we'll get to that a little bit later. But the the lack of the lack of depth suddenly after coming off a transfer window where it looked like it was all addressed is a little bit alarming. And just in terms of long term, we already touched on this somewhat. Uh, Richarlison's attitude definitely concerns me. Um, you kind of lose your impact when you can't stay on the field um, for le- for obvious reasons. And if he's not going to be able to keep his head together and stay off the ground, you're starting to look at, well, maybe we'll see. He starts getting subbed off in, you know, in the 60th minute sometimes because you don't want to run that risk of somebody taking a, re- yellow, a yellow card or a red card because he's got a hot head and, so I think that's um I think that covers it mostly for me. It's hard obviously to take a lot of long-term um concerns away from a game where you spent most of it with uh, 10 men, but there's definitely a couple of things. Yeah, great points there, Brian. Let's go to you right away. Uh short-term, long-term. We will lose out on Europe because of zonal marking on set pieces. Oh man, he's coming in hot. I I will <laughs> I mean, as a as a goalkeeper, I hate it. It's terrible, and I, I've yet to see someone succinctly explain the benefits and show evidence of it over a full season. Yeah, in a specific game, maybe it gives you a benefit because of this player or that matchup, but it it's just there's too many moving parts on a set piece to allow players to stay standing and then expect them to attack a set piece. I mean, we we saw it on the second goal. You know, I see it all the time in the Premier League. It, it's just a poor idea. It's too easy for an attacking team to put balls in positions that cause those problems. Um, yeah, and I, that's been an issue, I think, for us. You know, I think that's been the biggest issue, not only in this past game, but We've seen it in preseason. We've seen it in the couple games. So certainly something I, Marco Silva says they're working on those defending off set pizzas and, and the zonal marking and whatnot. Um, but it hasn't really shown yet as we've had some troubles with that, uh, in these, in these games here to start the season. Adam? 
Uh, short term, I think we've we've already covered. You know, uh, Morgan Schneiderlin, that absence is is going to be a big one, and I don't see how we can realistically uh, hope to build through the center of midfield until one of Schneiderlin or uh, Beningami is back. That's a short term issue because both of their injuries, I don't anticipate. You know, will go real long into the season, but it's it's an obvious one. The the long term uh, for me, and uh, this is a player that didn't come up in the uh, in the when we talked about players who didn't do so well, so I'll bring him up here. Uh, Leighton Baines got uh, off to a really good start, had uh, really good weeks the first two weeks, um, but there were definitely a couple of instances uh, on Saturday where he just got absolutely fried for pace, uh, and he's he's just got no legs. Um, and that doesn't mean that he doesn't have uses and that there aren't matchups where he should be playing because I would have started him today just like I would have started him uh, the last two weeks as well. Um, but it's definitely going to be something where we're going to have to start thinking about where, where Lucas Denier fits in because Bainsey can't run. And that's a long-term issue that could, it's going to carry for as long as he's still in an right. uniform. And that's not going away. So my, my question kind of is how do you reconcile everything, especially technically speaking that Baines brings to the attack with just the, the liability in defense, especially on, you know, covering these fast wingers that the Premier League obviously has and balls over the top. Like, at what point do the benefits sort of start to fade away with um, with what's going on there? Well, I think it's going to have to be matchup specific, uh, ultimately. And I think so far that's that's been the case. We've, we've faced three teams who didn't necessarily, you know, on paper present a, a huge attacking threat or a huge wide attacking threat. I certainly think once we start playing top six teams, I think we're going to almost exclusively see uh, see Lucas ahead of Leighton there because we just need the, the defensive ability. And then from there, I think it's just going to come down to who Silva thinks is going to be matched up, you know, the opponent's right winger on uh, on the Everton left back. <clears throat> and we'll have to take it from there. Bain still has a lot to give. I'm sure we're going to see plenty of both of those guys in this season, but it's just something that will be interesting to think about going forward. So, so you're saying you don't want to see Leighton against uh, Mohamed Salah or Raheem Sterling? No, no, thank you. Uh, I'm <laughs> okay. going to have to take a hard pass on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think he's got much attacking-wise. So last year, and granted all the caveats of the season, but last year he had 22 chances created. In 2012-2013, he had 116 created. It's really hard for me to say he's got much to give. Like I, I, I would say once Denier's, you know, fully fit and ready to go, it's his spot. Like even sight unseen and everything, I would, I would slot him in and basically go, let's see what you got, because I'm not, I, I struggle to see many teams where. Baines is the superior option because of legs. Because, I mean, if if I'm an opposing manager, I'm running at the guy that can't run. And, I, I you know, I have flashbacks almost to Roberto Martinez's masterpiece against Arsenal with the three up top and just Bert <laughs> Lukaku burning the left side of Arsenal's defense. Um, and, and I yeah. see that happening. And, and so I, I would... I would just make the switch, and yeah, it sucks, but I, I think not. if we've reached a point where we're comparing Leighton Baines to Nacho Monreal, I think that's probably pretty instructive, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Hey, he scored this weekend. <laughs> Against West Ham. That doesn't even count. <laughs> well, I, I think I think just to, to wrap up this first segment here on, on the review of the game, I think that um, we we touched on long term issues with Baines and possibly with Coleman, which may present an issue on those outside backs and and just teams with those fast paced wingers specifically. Unfortunately, coming to mind Liverpool who have Mane on one side and then and then Salah on the other. But um, you know, another long term takeaway is just you know. Games like Bournemouth for me are games like Brian said that, you know, could cost us a game, uh, could cost us Europe. You know, we got, those are games we have to find a way to win, especially when we get down to, uh, even men, um, 10 v 10. And I think that this one, I think we all feel that this was lost points after going up to nothing. Um, now moving on to what, to really what happened around the league. Um, we talked a, a little bit about, um, Nacho Monreal scoring, uh, against West Ham, but let's take a little bit look at, a little bit of a look at everything happening around the league and specifically, um, Liverpool Brighton. I thought that that was one of the, uh, more, su- I guess you could say more surprising res- results despite the fact that, um, Brighton did beat Manchester United last weekend. How'd you guys feel about that one? Adam, we'll start with you. Well, <laughs> I think, frankly, and it pains me to say this, the the way that uh, that Liverpool's started off the season, I think a a one nil loss at Anfield for uh, for Brighton is is not a terrible result. Um, and if we also just do briefly want to talk about Liverpool again, it it pains me, but I I do not think that they're going to go the entire season without conceding a goal. I just want it on the record now, so everybody knows. I, I think they will eventually concede. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that's. Uh, I, I would hope that that happens. That would be uh, ideal for us on our end of uh, <laughs> of Liverpool. Uh, Brian, well, your thoughts on this game? Did you know? Can the Seagulls stay this competitive going forward? You know, they played two pretty good games against two. I mean, Manchester United obviously having their own issues, but two pretty good teams nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I think Brighton will be fine, but you look at Liverpool, and in the first three games, they play three of, we'll say, of the bottom five in the league. You know, I so it, yeah. yeah, I mean, four nothing against I, West Ham, two nothing against Crystal Palace, and then one nothing against Brighton. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it looks great. I mean, it was some very pretty soccer. But I, I'm i going to wait to see how they do when they play a team, heck, even a mid-table team, before getting all excited and, you know, possibly wetting my pants about the Merseyside Derby. And I think, uh, uh, I think Liverpool's matchup next week uh, is a good one with uh, with going to Leicester because Leicester is the type of team that traditionally has has given Liverpool trouble under Jurgen Klopp. They just don't seem to have an answer at times anyway when teams are real good at bunkering them and countering them. And, you know, I know no Jamie Vardy for Leicester, but uh, that's still their game. And I'm I'm interested to see if if they're able to to break down that that Leicester block. Well, yeah, I, think I think the the thing is that Leicester kind of play the – a dumbed down, less skilled version of how Liverpool want to play you. And if Liverpool are afforded a ton of time on the ball, like Leicester will give them, they just have not seen a real good way to deal with that yet. 
Yeah. It's yeah. almost like they're best when they don't have to think. You know, it's just bam, 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 solid scores. Yeah. But no, it's they true. Sit, it's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, there's a, it's got to have a benchmark for these first games because there's a lot of teams. I mean, again, Watford's another team that comes to mind. Yes, they've won three games, but who have they played? Um, you know, they got the nine points out of those three games, but how long can that last? Um, and I, you, you kind of have a benchmark of maybe five or six games before you really start judging these teams on their performances and, and how they're playing week in and week out. Um, but moving on to Arsenal, Arsenal has had a pretty st- tough start to the season. Um, they did play Chelsea and Manchester City, so no, um, no flukes there in teams that they're playing, um, but not how they would have liked to start the Unai Emery uh, era off. What do you guys think of Arsenal so far, and how do they? How do you feel about them moving forward? Uh, they got the three-one win this weekend. Do you think that that's more of what we're going to see, or is again West Ham just a very bad team that is uh, that that Arsenal took advantage of? West Ham's real bad. Uh, <laughs> let's. Let's lead with that. Uh, West Ham's midfield. Again, it is amazing to me, uh, that, that West Ham has gone through yet another offseason thinking that they had somehow solved the midfield problem and this time with Jack Wilshire of all people. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I know how West Ham stays up right now with the team that they've got. Uh, so to answer your question about Arsenal, uh, I, I watched a lot of that game while the, the Everton game was going on. And uh, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed at all. They look like there's absolutely no cohesion uh, among any of those attackers. I have no idea how any of those guys fit in uh, with each other. They've got a lot of very talented players up front, but I just have no idea how it works as a unit. Um, I thought the goal that Petr Cech conceded uh, to West Ham in that game was pretty weak. I, I think you know, his his best days are very far behind him, and I think goalkeeping should be a concern for Arsenal. And Do they, I, I, I just don't know about the defense either. I don't know about anything at Arsenal is really, uh, I think, where I'm going here. Yeah, so do they switch? you think they switch check um, and put Leno in there after signing him? Do you think that there's they have another option on that team in terms of goalkeeping that can uh, replace check and just do a better job of man, like being the yeah, leader I mean, of that back line? I, I would go with Leno, uh, you know, pretty uh, sooner rather than later. Much, you know, much like Brian said about Bainsey, sometimes you, you just got to rip the Band-Aid and say, okay, you know, this is this is the, the time to, to do this. You know, and I think the upshot with Arsenal here, the, the question that, that we really want to know the answer to, the reason that we care about Arsenal is, you know, can we catch them in the top six? Uh, and early, again, it's early. I think this is a very vulnerable team. I think this is a team that Everton over 38 match season can outpace and finish ahead of in the, in the standings. Obviously we've got our own issues to, to sort out as well, but from the early going, I'm not scared of Arsenal at all. Yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, that's how I feel about it too. I feel like Arsenal kind of year by year, I feel like they're just, they, they get, they put themselves in a deeper hole and deeper hole. And it feels like, if we can just hit our stride here, we can, you know, get ahead of them and finish ahead of them in that top six. And, and Brian, we'll go to you next. Um, how, how do you feel about Arsenal? Is there anything that they could be doing differently right now? Or is it kind of just how this is going to play out based on the players they have? I mean, there's a lot of – I look at their lineup for this game and I go, who the fuck are these guys to some degree? You know, like, and not that there's a lack of – 
talent, but Arsenal's always, you know, one of Wenger's probably underappreciated skills is that he, he was able to put guys in a system. He just never was willing or able to go find that last, say, piece or two that would really elevate them into something special. But, you, you know, when you looked at Arsenal, you always knew what you were going to get. You knew there was going to be some great quality, some maddening moments. But now, they, yeah, it's just 11 guys that are kicking a ball around. Um, but at the same time, I think there's enough talent there, and I think they'll go out and spend in January that we'll just have our annual, oh, wait, maybe we can catch them. Oh, well, we dicked away two points to Cardiff. Two points to West Ham and well shit. There we go. Yeah, and that's 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 always kind of been our problem. It feels like yeah. the Everton way. Um and you know, I didn't watch the game on um on Saturday, the Arsenal game, but I thought one of the things about the first two games that was interesting, and Chris will go to you next, and maybe you have some thoughts on this too. Um starting Gunduzi over Torreira was I thought an interesting move. Um, I mean, he's done well, but still a younger player coming from a league, a league two side in France. Um, you guys have any opinions on that and how that has played out? And Chris, we'll go to you. Um, I, I just thought that was an interesting move by Emery to start the season. Yeah, I think it is very interesting. And that kind of gets to one of my main concerns about Arsenal is that uh, what, the midfield is, you know, at least moder- moderately talented. But you look at those pieces and say, where does this all fit together? Because Emery looks like he wants to play a two-man midfield, which, you know, whatever. That's If that's what he's going to do, that's fine. But you have Granit Xhaka, who is just an objectively a bad player. Um, he's crap. I, I don't like him. I wish I'd never have to watch a game with him involved in it again. Um, you have Mohamed Elneny, who is, you know, kind of – uh, pigeonholed into that number six role that they're not actually using. You have Aaron Ramsey who can't, has not been able to figure out over the course of his career what, what his best position is. And, and then you have the, um, the young kid that you mentioned and, and Lucas Torreira who might be the best of all of them. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me how they're all going to fit together. And I think that's, um, that's concerning. Yeah, definitely. That's going to be, I mean, a lot of players. I think that's what we've all had the consensus on here is that there's a lot of players there um, and just maybe not enough spots to fit them all in the right positions. Um, but moving to something that's going to happen uh, tonight, which is uh, we're releasing this podcast on Monday. So tonight we'll have, uh, uh, the, or this afternoon, we'll have the Monday night uh the Monday night football between United and Spurs. How do you guys feel about this game? What's the expected outcome? Chris, we'll go right back to you. How do you feel about this game? And what do you think of United, Chris? I think that uh, Jose Mourinho uh, needs to retire. I would like if um, he would go not take a television job or not accept a guest uh, column in a, one of the uh, – tabloids in Britain, if he would just go away permanently and stop ruining my favorite sport, that would be ideal. Um, <laughs> you know, he's taken he's taken a collection of attacking talent that is really, you know, probably second or be- third best in the league, and uh, in the name of improving the defense, kind of ruined it. And uh, not only is that unfortunate, but he also hasn't fixed the defense either. 
So, you know, it's a, it's, it's problematic and it, you kind of don't, you kind of look at United and as long as Mourinho's there, I don't see a way back for their, for their season. And I certainly don't see them improving on second place from last year. Yeah. And I I think we kind of uh, played a part in them not improving that defense by grabbing Nina and then other teams, um, not allowing them to get their other options. And Adam, we'll, we'll go to you. Bailey and uh, Lindelof in the middle clearly not working as well as, as Mourinho would like them to. Is there anything that they could do uh, to, you know, fix that back line? Is there any players there or they're going to just have to roll with it and, and figure it out tactically? Uh, well, they should probably try to find the receipt from Lindelof's transfer. If they can do that, they might have a shot. Uh, hey, I like I've it. got a name, Mason Holgate. Ah, Brian's thinking. <laughs> I, I, I think Eric Bailly's a, a, a good defender. I'm not worried about Bailly in the long run. I know he's not gotten off to a great start here uh, this season, but I, I, I'm not concerned about him. But it's amazing to me that somehow United has all of these center backs that could play alongside him, Lindelof, Smalling, Rojo, Jones, that maybe if you put all of them together and took the best uh, parts of each, although I'm not sure what that is actually good about Chris Smalling. So maybe those, the other three, uh, and then maybe you'd have a good center back to put along by, but I, I don't, I don't see a, a way for them to fix that with the personnel that they've got. And I certainly don't see, where Jose gets away with throwing his hands up in the air and saying, oh, well, you know, nobody bought me a shiny new center back when you got the one that you wanted last summer, and it's it's not Ed, Ed Woodward's fault that he's trash. That's on you. Yeah, that's all, it's, it's all about scouting at that point. And, you know, I feel like it kind of happens a lot with Marina where he buys these new players, they don't work out, and then all of a sudden it's somebody else's fault that they didn't work out and that he doesn't have the money or the backing to go grab another player. All right, going to uh, the preview, really, of our next game, which will be uh, Rotherham. Um, and Chris, we'll go right to you and, and uh, get maybe get a little of how you think that this one will play out. We've mentioned it a little bit before already in the podcast. Um, and we've mentioned how depth will be an issue moving forward over these next couple games. How do you feel like we are going to put ourselves out there? What, what do you think we line up as? And uh, how do you think this one plays out? The good news is that I don't think there's a collection of first-team players that Marco Silva could roll out there and reasonably lose to Rotherham. Um, there are some some options. I'd love to see Kieran Dow get uh, 90 minutes in the midfield. I'd love to see um, Bernard with a cameo at least, if not starting. Uh, Kurt Zuma is obviously going to start with uh, without Michael Keane available um whether or not he partners mason holgate remains to be seen i think uh only matthew pennington would be another option there but i think you'll see most most first team players in there but there are some good rotational options that we can still utilize so and i think one of those names that will be all over our papers and all over our um, articles over the next week will be ademola lookman do we think that he gets a run out in this game do we think he's as good as gone Adam, how do you feel about this one? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Uh, you, you know, we, we've certainly, especially with Richarlison uh, on the red, uh, got a spot for him to play uh, in this one. But I, 
I really thought after the, the club said, you know, we're not selling, that's that, and then our season started, I really thought that that was going to be it. Uh, and I thought that Leipzig, honestly, had, had kind of accepted that too. But then with the way that things have gone the last couple of weeks, Silva's comments, Lookman out of the 18, now I'm really not sure. Um, I, I think it's interesting watching, having watched Leipzig today. I've got no idea where Adam Lookman fits in there either. Um, they have got a ton of attacking talent, even if it didn't necessarily all play out against Dortmund this weekend. They prefer to play a 4-2-2-2 with those front four, you know, pressing high, being real fluid. I don't know if that's at Ace game anyway. So I, I, I've, I've almost started to wonder if maybe Adam Mola-Lookman here has overplayed his hand and he might not find a home anywhere, uh, at least among the two teams in question right now. So I don't think he plays against Rotherham, but I'm not, you know, totally flabbergasted if he does. Yeah, if I mean, it, go ahead. Yeah, if he's not at least on the roster or in the 18 for this game, I he's got to be gone or, you know, basically in Silva's shithouse, TBD. Because you can't tell me that a fit Lookman is not, should not be playing in this match. Totally agreed. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... Not buying the uh, the injury that he allegedly picked up in training. I think that's a little um, PR nonsense, especially after Yannick Balassi had a uh, what amounted to a six week stomach virus apparently um, before he moved to Aston Villa. So, yeah, I think I think that's really going to be what we're all really paying attention to. Uh, but really, just to wrap things up, how do we see this one going against Rotherham? Is there really for any of us any chance that we? I mean, we haven't performed as well as we would have liked to in domestic cups in recent years, but is there any chance that this one isn't as easy as it looks and it is a little bit more difficult for us, or do we take this one and dominate this one pretty easily? There's always a chance. There's always a chance with this team. <laughs> and nobody, you know, nobody should get too, too comfortable coming into this one. Yeah, I definitely think we win. I think it's probably pretty comfortable at the end of the day. We've got a lot of young players who are going to have an opportunity to make this game their proving ground. It'll mean a lot to them that gap in quality is evident. Uh, so I, I think we get a multi-goal win here, but we can never be sure until they play the game. That's why they play the games. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that's, there's always a chance. It's, it's a great way to put it. That's all the time we're going to have for you guys here today. Uh, Adam, Brian, and Chris, thanks for joining me here, talking some Everton football. We got a big week ahead of us. It'll be interesting to see how everything plays out. Thanks for listening. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.